This morning, instead of having one speaker, because it's Mother's Day, it is the tradition in North Church that we have a female speaker. Well, we weren't able to engage one from outside the church. They were all busy. So we looked within the church and there's some great resources here amongst our women. So this was meant to be a five for five, meaning, what's five for five? It's not a red rooster deal, don't get me wrong. Um, this means five people speaking for five minutes. We weren't able to get five people. We've got four people, four, four women, wonderful women from our church who are going to speak for um, five minutes or maybe a bit more to make up for the fifth one that couldn't come. Um, and so they'll be, they've been asked to choose a woman from the Bible, either Old Testament or New Testament, completely up to them, to speak about, to share about. And I think, in fact, I'm pretty certain that with each woman who's going to speak, the woman in the Bible that she has chosen is special to her in some way. And we're going to hear about that this morning. So um, without further ado, I'm going to invite, first of all, Mareika. Mareika, do you want me to announce who you're going to speak about? Okay, so Mareika has chosen the wonderful woman of Ruth. <laughs> and, um, yes, yeah, so Mareika's chosen Ruth. I'll give you the microphone in a minute. Yeah, glasses are important. And um, Ruth is from roughly the middle of the Old Testament. She's one of my favourites too, but I didn't choose her. So now, um, without further ado, I'll hand over to Mareika. Thank you, Roz. Um, God just put the Book of Ruth on my heart for today, so um, I hope you get something out of this. I'm sure you will. So first of all, um, I'd just like to read Ruth 1. So it should be on the screen there. Gosh, it's very small writing. Lucky I'm not reading off that. Um, so um, here we go. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Ephrites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-laws, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness, as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. 
may the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons? Who could be your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realised that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them and the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. There's so much we can learn from the book of Ruth, but today I'd like to focus on the relationship between Naomi and Ruth. As we read, we see that Naomi is a wife, mother, and eventually a mother-in-law. When famine struck their homeland in Judah, she faithfully followed her husband Elimelech and sons Malon and Kilion to seek a better life in Moab. Her sons met and married Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. All three were widowed when Elimelech died, as did their two her, excuse me, as did their two sons ten years later. What a difficult situation to be in. How would they survive without their men to provide for them? Naomi decides to go back to Judah where she still has relatives and all three women set out on the journey. On the way, Naomi urges her daughters-in-law to go back to Moab to their own people, find new husbands and have children with them. Orpah reluctantly agrees and returns to Moab. Ruth, however, has other plans. Just let's look again at Ruth verses 15 to 18. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realised that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. I love the way Ruth expresses herself in this passage. 
Through these words, she demonstrates her selfless choice to remain with Naomi as a loving, dutiful, adopted daughter, leaving her people, their gods, and her homeland, which not have been an easy thing to do. We also learn that Naomi was a survivor. She endured, endured one loss after another, but still pushed herself to go forward with hope for a better life. So let's read a little further again to learn more about Naomi's character. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them and the women explained, exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. The name Naomi means pleasant, delightful, lovely. And by all accounts, this was the, an accurate description of her character. However, when her circumstances changed, she responded with bitterness, saying that the hand of the Lord had gone against her. The name she chose for herself, Mara, meaning bitterness, reflected her state of mind at the time and made her unable to feel the tender touch of God. Naomi had lost everything. She was no longer a wife, no longer a mother, and she felt she had lost her purpose and meaning in life. Eventually, through Ruth's loving devotion, serving and caring for Naomi, her attitude changed. Her heart was reignited as she in turn was re-established as a mother, Ruth's adopted mother. She treated Ruth as her own, showing her great kindness, giving her wise counsel and advice, unselfishly and sacrificially seeking goodness for Ruth's life above her own. These are the characteristics of a true mother. In our world today, we have many mothers. Some of us are biological mothers, some adoptive mothers, and some of us fill in as mothers when the need arises. I personally am blessed to have given birth to three beautiful children. However, there have been many times throughout their lives when family and friends have stepped up to take on this role. There have been several occasions over the years when I've been unable to care for my children as a mum due to sickness, work commitments and various other situations. Without my amazing family and friends filling in at these times, my kids truly would have suffered. There is a saying that anyone can be a mother, but only very special people can be a mum. I have huge admiration for those wonderful ladies who foster children and take the place of their mum for a time. These kids are usually traumatised in some way, even if it's just to be separated from their parents due to ill health. And it takes a person with a real mother's heart to take care of these precious children. I also know there are many aunties out there who take on the role of motherhood. They may not have children of their own, yet they display the same love the child's own mother does in spades. In some instances, grandparents also have also needed to take on the role of parents again when tragic circumstances have happened. Here are some quotes I found to describe a mother. 
A mother understands what a child does not say. A mother's hug lasts long after she's let go. A mother is the one who fills your heart in the first place. Mother is one to whom you hurry to when you are troubled. A mother's arms are made of tenderness and children sleep soundly in them. Mothers hold their children's hands for a short while, but their hearts forever. Mother's love is peace. It need not be acquired. It need not be deserved. The book of Ruth is an example of a mother's love, natural and chosen. So are we as children of God, created, chosen and unconditionally loved. Praise God for his wonderful example of parenthood. Thank you. Thank you, Mareka, for that explanation of the broad role of mothers, the very precious role of mothers. It's important to have that explained today. The next speaker that I would like to invite to share about the woman that she's chosen is Sue Jones. And those of you who are part of the Monday Night Bible Study will know Sue well um, and her lovely way of sharing. And I believe that Sue is going has chosen Mary, the mother of Jesus, a very, very special mother, a mother of the most important person who was ever born on this earth. Good choice, Sue. Hello. <laughs> Thomas, thanks for Monday night at Bible study. No, but after I had realised that I had misunderstood how I was supposed to, what I was supposed to speak on, I'm going, well, is it? So, yeah, I suppose you did. <laughs> and Roz, thanks for bringing up on Monday night at Bible study what we were supposed to speak on because I had misunderstood, so that was good. <laughs> would have been in trouble. Um, wondering if somebody would come and help me, a young lady who's about 16 years old who's prepared to put uh, an old sheet that's clean on her head and an old sheet that's clean over her shoulders. Any takers? 15, 16, 17. <laughs> I know, Thomas, but I asked and she said no. So I'm not forcing people who don't want to. Any takers at all? Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that one's for me. All right. I suppose this is just to help us get in the scene that is not 2023, okay? <laughs> 
All right. So, Mary, the mother of Jesus. Woohoo. But we're going to learn. As you probably already know, that she was a, a woman, a young woman who grew up to be an older woman who had an amazing call of God on her life. But did she know that before things started happening? The Bible says that Mary was a young woman. Now, we believe about 16 but could have been a little bit younger, could have been a little bit older, but we don't know. It does, however, clearly say that she was a virgin and that she was betrothed to Joseph. So Joseph was probably a bit older than her and this betrothal is like our engagement except it's a legal deal. So to get unbetrothed, there was a divorce. Unlike our engagements that, though emotionally painful, can be entered into at will and departed from at will, usually by just one person. But this is a legal deal. So the whole society knows, mum and dad know, his mum and dad know if they're still alive, the community knows. It's a big deal. Okay. So, we know because of certain things that happen that she loved God and that she knew the word of God, but won't go into that. Now, I'm not going to give scripture verse references for everything because we're going to have to run through this. I thought it was a five for five and I'm thinking we're going to go, we're going to go. But if you want these <laughs> scriptures, they are all there, Okay. Um, God told her a very big thing. Remember, she's about 16. Let's get our headspace around this. Our society, I think, is very sad and does not really respect young women of 15, 16. I think that they still look at them as kids a lot. And I think that that's a downfall in our society. That is a Sue Jones. That is not the Bible. Okay. <laughs> but Mary was young and God respected her. And he was going to tell her a big thing. He needed a big thing of Mary. So he, he sent an angel to tell her because it was huge. This is a young woman. Okay. So Angel Gabriel. He's a big deal angel too. He's not just one of your everyday angels. He's a big deal angel. He gets to Mary and he says, this is in the sixth month of Elizabeth. Now Elizabeth is another person. She's actually a relative of Mary's. I'll step in for her. She's an older chick, okay. She's past bearing kids. Her husband's past bearing kids. Guess what? God did something for them too. She's having a baby at an old age, past it, okay? So God's into some big stuff at this time. These girls are related. All right, 
So mind you, this is an old bird. This is a young bird. All right. In the sixth month, stepping in well, aren't we? <laughs> in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel. So we're talking from Luke chapter 126 down to 38. And I'm sorry, um, nothing up on the screen. That's my fault, not Tim's. He was very gracious, he offered. I couldn't come to the party. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel, a Gabriel, to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to the Virgin Mary. She was engaged, betrothed, to, uh, to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her. Whoa! She's getting not just a vision, not just a dream, she's got this manifestation of an angel. Okay, maybe slightly freaking out, maybe not. Anyway, uh, yes, she's engaged to be married to a, named, a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favoured woman, woman, favoured. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, understandably, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favour with God. You will conceive... Now, this is big, okay? This is big. She's virgin. She's 16 about, you know? You will convert, uh, conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and you will and will be called the Son of the Most High, the Lord God. Mm, the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. She is not doubting. She's just going, tilt, tilt, I'm betrothed to Joseph, don't know him that way yet. Um, how's this all going to work? Fair enough question, I think. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. This is really important because Jesus is conceived of Mary but by the Holy Spirit. No earthly man involved. That's the only way our Jesus could be the spotless, sinless lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. Then he goes on to say, what's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant at a very old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. So we get a bit of a timeline here. Elizabeth's got, she's six months pregnant. So if, if she had have gotten out of the house, everybody would see. Mary's got no telephone, no email, no mobile. Apparently Elizabeth lives a fair way away. But Gabriel's giving her a bit of a heads up to encourage her that 
you know, this is, this is happening too and it's to your relative and it's a big deal. People used to say she was barren but she has conceived a son and is, in now, and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. Now, um, yes, Mary responded and said, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said to me come true. She submitted to this awesome thing that God has just pronounced to her by Gabriel. And, you know, there's a whole lot in this because in Mary's culture, having conceived a baby outside of marriage, not betrothal, marriage, was huge. Shunned in society, you know, not accepted, how you're going to live, life probably of prostitution afterwards. You know, this is a big deal. Mary has said to the angel, be it done to me, as the Lord has said. Huge submission. God is favouring Mary. She has come down through the centuries, honoured, but to live it is a different thing. She had to live this and doesn't go into saying whether her parents um, rejected her or condemned her, doesn't say anything about peers, but can imagine. Anyway, she's told about Elizabeth. After the angel goes, she goes to Elizabeth. Now, I want to point out also, Mary's a young woman. She could be about 16. Elizabeth's an old bird. She could be 50, 60, 70. Who knows? As it says in the Word of God, with God all things are possible. It's, it's said in there. It said it different in that scripture, but yeah. But she goes to this old bird who's she's been told is pregnant to talk with her, to commune with her because this is a God pregnancy which is a first and the last, the only virgin birth. But she goes to Elizabeth who also is pregnant. They meet. The baby in Elizabeth's womb jumps. Woohoo! At her voice knowing that she's got Jesus inside her womb. So God is amazing with these mums, but think of Mary. She's a young woman, just conceived. She's going to have some fellowship with somebody who is also a godly woman who God has blessed. Elizabeth prophesies over Mary. Mary bursts forth in this amazing song or words that are called the Magnificat which actually shows and proves how much of word of God is in Mary, as well as the living word who is developing in her, God's son. Amazing, amazing. So this is still Mary, an amazing mum, young mum. So then she has about three months with Elizabeth. We don't know whether she was there for John the Baptist's birth, but it's interesting to consider because we know 
that Mary is going to have to go through birth in a stable, probably supported by a very brave Joseph, probably without a midwife. So amazing, amazing. And I'm just, as I was going through this, just amazed at how brave Mary was, how courageous, Stepping out with God saying, as you have willed it, as you have said, let it be done to me. I will submit to everything. This was at a cost of her reputation. God had to speak to Joseph, bless him, and understandable, through an angel in a dream to marry Mary because he might not have known Till Mary's come back from Elizabeth, so now Mary's three months pregnant and it's probably showing a bit, that she's actually conceived and he's thinking of divorcing her but quietly because he's a good man, the Bible, um, and I'm going over well over so I'll probably need to be a bit shorter, I'm sorry. I was going to start my phone and I've forgotten. Um, But the angel sent from God, because God wants to honour Mary and protect Mary, says the baby she has conceived is by the Holy Spirit and you're going to name him Jesus and it's going to be okay. And immediately Joseph wakes up. He goes and gets Mary. We don't know whether she was accepted by her parents when she came back from Elizabeth to stay in their home. We don't know where she was. But he says, you're coming to my home and took her as wife, but it's very specific. But he kept her as a virgin until Jesus was born. So they did not consummate that marriage until after Jesus was born. So the whole time that she was pregnant with Jesus, she was still a virgin. And that is really important for who Jesus is for us today. So Mary, you're amazing. Amazing, amazing, amazing. She faithfully carried um, Jesus, even travelling to Bethlehem. Now I had another look. doesn't say on a donkey. It just says they travelled. But she's nine months pregnant and God wants her to go on this huge trip, whether it's by donkey or whether it's by foot. You know, being with God as a mum is not always comfortable, not always easy. So we don't have an elegant hospital. We don't have an elegant room. We have a stall. It's probably clean, I'd say. It's clean, nice fresh hay the breath of some animals maybe, she gives birth in this stable after this huge trip because they had to have this census. But all of this is fulfilling God's prophecies from the Old Testament and there's scripture after scripture. And as I said, we're running through this, but it's all in the word of God, all in the word of God, and it's telling us about this precious mum who was favoured of God, honoured of God, but she's still a human being. Going to skip through some very important things like circumcision of Jesus, 
She, Mary and Joseph are godly people, hard after God, want to obey the word. So they do all the things according to the law because they have hearts for God and they know a bit about how precious this baby is. But I also want you to know that Mary and Joseph had other kids. There's four boys named and it says and daughters, Jesus' sisters, but it says plural sisters, there are no names and no number. But Mary was quite productive afterwards, so obviously no longer a virgin, but precious still and honoured down through the years. The next little bit, and I think I'm going to have to end on this because I've spoken for too long, is just pointing out she and Joseph used to go to Passover to Jerusalem every year. That was their habit. Forgot about Egypt. There's another big trip in there, but, you know, and other angel stuff. But <laughs> And she submits to Joseph because she hasn't heard with this one. So, you know, she's a really godly woman. But then they get to the temple as they do for Passover, a big feast. They bring Jesus because he's 12. He's in with the teachers and stuff, but they've gone. They think he's with them in a big family relative migration going back home. Takes them three days to find him. Mary's cross. She scolds Jesus. What are you doing to us? Why are you dis dishonouring us? Jesus said some stuff. He's 12. He was polite, but he talked about being in his father's house, about his father's work, and it makes a very clear statement, but his parents did not understand. Mary was human. She obeyed God. But, you know, our heads don't get everything. So Jesus went from 12 to about 30 before he entered into his ministry. He obeyed his parents. I'm wondering if there might have had to have been a forgiving of his mum for not understanding. And I'm wondering if maybe that's something we need to look at today, is that we've been scolded for something that actually we shouldn't have been scolded for and needed to be forgiven. So Mary's amazing. There's another, another bit more that I've got closed for an older Mary to come, but I think um, I need to step aside now because two other women have um, prepared a lot for today as well. But Mary, thank you very much for being up here. <laughs> Thanks, Sue. Thank you for bringing alive through dress-ups and through uh, the early stages of motherhood for Mary. Um, it really helped us to focus on that because quite often I know I think about Mary at the end when she's watching her son die on the cross and how painful that was. But, yes, she was a brave and courageous woman. Um, the next person I'm going to invite up is Lisa Doherty. <laughs> who's obviously brought her fan club with her. 
Lisa is um, moving very slowly, as she should be, because just two days ago, she had an operation, not a small one, in hospital. And she's also a very brave and courageous woman because she was determined to be here. Even though she's moving very slowly and she's very sore, as you can see. Yeah, okay. So I believe that, um, yeah, Lisa has chosen a woman who doesn't get a lot of uh, verses allocated to her in the Bible, in the New Testament. We don't know her name. She was a woman who had a medical problem, an issue of blood, and she was desperate to be healed. She, Anyhow, Lisa will tell you the whole story. Um, and obviously this is a lady in the Bible who has captured Lisa's attention. So over to you, Lisa. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day to everybody. I didn't prepare as much as the other two beautiful ladies, so it's good that you spoke a bit longer because I'm going to be very quick. I'll try and be anyway. Um, so I'm reading from Matthew 9, verses 20 to 22. Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. This um, Bible that I'm reading from was a beautiful gift from a beautiful lady when I was baptised through North Church four years ago, Mareka. And when the subject of the five for five came up, I was actually in the process of rereading the devotionals and I was in the middle of women of the Bible. Um, so I was having a think about what I'd read and, and who had spoken to me. And I did have someone in mind. I was actually going to talk about Moses' mum. But uh, God had other plans. So I'm actually going to read the devotional from this book. And then I've got a little bit that I've added to that just to show how that relates to myself. Cultural differences shield many of us from the anguish of this woman. For her, a menstrual bleed that lasted 12 years meant being totally cut off from her family, her friends, her community and the worship of God in the place he had ordained, the temple. Her heart cry if only, comes from deep within a soul that has reached the end of its tether. Somehow she had heard of one who could help, one who had healed people. Perhaps she heard them speak of him as she stood nearby, longing to be a part of their friendly chatter, but always forced to be an outsider. But even from there, she heard enough to plant a seed of faith in her heart so that she could say, I only need to touch the edge of his cloak and all will be well. How she got close enough, we don't know. She reached out, she touched, and Jesus turned and looked at her. From then on, nothing would ever be the same again. He pronounced her clean, called her daughter. For the first time in her life, she was truly free, and what's more, Jesus declared that she was part of his family. What is the burden you carry? What is it that shuts you off from God and family and friends? 
dare to do what this woman did, dare to come to Jesus, to reach out to him for help. When you do, you will find, as she did, true freedom and a place in the family of God. I did this in March 2019 after spending much of my life feeling like an outcast. My adult life spent isolated, used and abused. I'd spent five years trying to find myself again, trying to heal from all the years of isolation and pain. With the help of my love, my wonderful husband, I felt like I was getting there very slowly. But something was blocking that process and on the weekend of the 3rd of March, 2019, as some of you may already know the story, I too was bleeding. Not in the same way as this woman in Matthew 9, but enough for me to remember a few small seeds that had been planted by my husband, his parents, and even a co-worker at the time. From my bathroom floor, I cried out and God heard me. I knew that he'd called me daughter. And a couple of weeks later, he led me here to North Church. The past four years, God has shown me that I am loved. He has nourished and encouraged me and healed me in so many ways. Developing my relationship with him, bringing that relationship into my family, being able to share his love with my husband and children and, where possible, planting seeds for others and doing my best to teach my kids to do the same. As a mum, I've watched my kids experience some things that they shouldn't have, but I do my best to raise them well with compassionate hearts, to love God and to plant their own seeds because you never know when someone's bleeding. Thank you, Lisa. That was beautiful and from the heart. And I forgot to thank Kaylee too for participating in Sue's talk. That was fantastic. She was a very appropriate young Mary. Well, the final speaker this morning is me. And the woman I've chosen is the Samaritan woman at the well. So I chose this woman because... A long time ago, I felt an affinity with her. No, I'm not an immoral woman, but for other reasons, which I'll reveal later in my talk. You know, she's a special woman because she was one of only two women that are recorded in the Bible to whom Jesus revealed his identity as the Christ. She was special. But, you know, in her town, in her culture... She was regarded as an immoral woman. She was a social outcast. So why did Jesus choose to interact with her? Let's look at the story as it's recorded by Jesus' disciple John in his gospel in chapter 4. Now, this is a long reading, um, so we'll go through it. There's a bit in the middle I'll leave out because it's not relevant to what I'm going to say. But I've, I wanted you to get the main facts of the story straight from the writer, John. So reading what's on the overhead. 
Now he had to, he, that's Jesus, had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Now his disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Okay, keep that in mind. Um, On the next slide... And I'm not going to read this through because this story is very long. And for time's sake, I'll skip over this part because what's happening in this part is that Jesus and the woman enter into a theological discussion about where and how to worship. Um, And that's not relevant to the point I'm bringing out today. Um, And also... uh, about more about living water. But he does reveal at the end of this particular slide, you'll see he says, the woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then on the next slide he says, then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking to her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and they made their way toward him. Okay, so this particular meeting with Jesus took place pretty early in his ministry. Um, 
And he was actually making this journey on foot from Judea um, because there'd been some trouble in the countryside of Judea. There'd been some arguments um, where Jesus had been. And he was making the journey back to Galilee, uh, probably to Nazareth, which was his hometown. There's a map um, going up now on the slide and you will see uh, sort of in the middle down the bottom you'll see where Jerusalem is and if you look up towards the top of the slide go directly north you'll see where Nazareth is in Galilee and it looks like a pretty straightforward journey just straight head north but the fact is that in my research I found that Jews did not make a direct journey when they went to Galilee. They actually crossed the Jordan River, went east, went up around, so they avoided going through Samaria, and then they had to cross the Jordan River up the top to get to Galilee. Why? Because they despised the Samaritans. Why did they despise the Samaritans? Well, a thousand years before, when uh, a lot of the Jews had gone into captivity in Babylon, the Jews that were left had intermarried with um, uh, Gentiles in the area. So they became a mixed race. And they were therefore considered by the Jews as impure because in Mosaic Lord, you weren't, well, you weren't allowed to do that. You weren't allowed to, to marry outside of the Jewish race. So um, this is racial discrimination at its best. Um, but, you know, that didn't matter to Jesus. He wasn't into that sort of thing. Um, as he had, he had a divine appointment with this lady. And I think that's why he didn't always uh, comply with the customs of the day. Um, he, did, he went where God directed him. God directed him to Sychar because of this divine appointment. So... Um, I want to give you now some cultural information uh, that, that will inform this whole encounter because it's pretty important. Now, you noticed in the reading that she's had five husbands and she's now living with a man who is not her legal husband. Well, divorce was permitted in that culture. Um, it was done in a, in a particular way, um, and, but only, only the man could initiate it, not the woman. Um, but it was also accepted that, you know, maybe you might have two divorces, but any more than that, and there's something really wrong with you, you're really immoral. She'd had, I, I'm not sure that she'd had five divorces. I'm not going to suggest that. Some of her husbands may have died. But the fact is, um, she'd had quite a few as husbands, as you can see. Now, the reason she was probably living with a man who was not her husband now, is because when a woman was divorced, she was cast out of the home and they often had no means of support. They needed a male to provide a home, food and protection. Usually that was a male within their extended family, might be an uncle, a brother or even her father, but I don't think this woman was particularly young. She'd been around a while and... Um, it's quite possible that her father had died and, um, you know, other males in her family either disowned her because she was immoral or they weren't around any longer either. We don't know. But she needed to be 
She needed to, to have food and a home and protection. So she did the best she could because, you know what, there was no Centrelink payments in those days. So um, a divorced woman had no rights in that society. On the next slide, I've actually summarised the circumstances of divorced women in those times. I'm not going to read it through, but you can have a look for yourself. The next point, cultural point I want to point out is that she comes to the well to draw her daily water needs on her own at a time when the other women are not going to be there. Well, water drawing customarily was done by women of the town in a group and they did this for protection. It was a time of where, you know, they'd gossip and chatter. You know what women are like. They like to do things together and, you know, drawing water was a daily job you had to do. So it was good to do it with the other ladies. But she wasn't with them because those other ladies would usually, in that culture, they'd do water drawing in the early morning before it got hot. She's coming up much later in the day. And I think that's because she felt she was a social outcast. Maybe she was an object of their gossip. And another point I wanted to bring out concerning culture was that, as we saw in the reading, Jesus initiates conversation with her. He asks her for a drink. This is outrageous in that culture because Jews actually held that if you drink from a Samaritan drinking vessel, a cup, a bucket, whatever, it made you ritually contaminated, dirty. That's how they looked at the Samaritans. And, you know, the Samaritan woman would have been well aware of that. That's why she, she sort of reacted when he asked her for a drink. So this brings me to my main point today, and that is the rejection that I pick up that this woman feels by the people in her town. And yet Jesus chose her, the one who was rejected by all the people she lived around, he chose her to offer living water and eternal life through him. You know, this encounter with Jesus so liberated her from her past and the, all the rejection that she felt and being an outcast that at the end of the story, she leaves a water jar behind, she forgets about it, and she runs into town and she openly says, come see a man who told me everything that I'd ever done. You know, she, she had been liberated and set free that she felt that she could declare this news quite openly in the town. And they responded. They came out and met Jesus. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because... Um, I read that Jesus stayed another two days in that town because of her and he, he taught in that town and many people probably came to believe in him and yet in his own town of Nazareth, they rejected him. Whereas in Sychar, they accepted he was the Christ, the Messiah. Back in Nazareth, his own town, it was like, you know, who's this? 
He's just the carpenter's son. He's just the son of Joseph and Mary. Like, he's got tickets on himself saying all this stuff. So I think that's an important thing that Jesus was rejected too by his own people, yet he was listened to in this town. Now, we're not told whether the Samaritan woman was a mother or not because that's not the point of the story. She may have been, but as you've seen in the slide that's up at the moment, she would have had to leave her children behind with the husbands who divorced her, which is really sad. I identify with the Samaritan woman because I've been a divorced woman and a single mother for 34 years, I worked out. It's a long time. And you know, I've experienced that rejection. I know it too well. And the feeling of being not included that sometimes comes with that. The looks that you get, um, the fact that, unfortunately, I've mostly felt this in churches. Not this church. I've never felt it in this church. But I've attended a lot of churches because I've moved around and lived in a few states. And I've been to quite a few churches. And I've seen the looks. And I've seen the families sitting together and felt isolated. And when I was at a church in Adelaide, I was fairly new there. Um, as a single mother, I had my two children with me. They were about to have um, a catered church dinner and they were selling tickets for that. So I went up to the ticket seller after church. He was a male and I said, can I have it buy a ticket, please? And he said, only one ticket? What about your husband? I don't have a husband. Well, get yourself a husband. He scowled at me. So my heart goes out to the single mothers on Mother's Day. They probably won't get breakfast in bed, taken out for lunch, or even a Mother's Day gift. They will not necessarily get spoiled or even acknowledged on their special day. I know this from experience. I, I was recalling this morning my, my daughter, who's now a mother, when she was six years old, she cried so much on Mother's Day. It was the first Mother's Day that she'd experienced when Daddy had gone off to romance his new lady. Daddy was still living at home. He'd promised her that he would take her out to buy a present for Mother's Day. But he left early in the morning. He didn't even go to church. And yet he was on the parish council of that church. And he went off to be with his new lady and she cried and cried because all she could give me was a wooden spoon with some herbs and peppercorns glued to it and a pink bow tied around it and a Happy Mother's Day card. She'd made this at school and she said, Mummy, it's not enough. You deserve a proper Mother's Day present. When is Daddy coming home? And she cried and cried, do you know, that wooden spoon, that present is the most precious Mother's Day gift I have ever received in all of the Mother's Days I've had. 
So, yes, I know this from first-hand experience. And, you know, mothers, single mothers in particular, on this day, they'll just get on with what they do every day, which is providing food, care and love to their children with little to no support. It's a relentless job. They do it tough. And we need to think of and care for them just as Jesus reached out to the Samaritan woman. Did you notice that Jesus did not judge nor condemn this woman for her marital situation? But he did confront her with the truth and she acknowledged the truth. You know, people in the church sometimes judge and ostracise the single mother without knowing the facts behind it. Let's follow Jesus' example. Let's get to know the truth. Let's reach out and support the single mothers. To the single mothers who are here today, and I know there are a few, or listening to this online, I'd like to share a passage from Isaiah that's always encouraged me because it reveals God's heart towards the woman who has been made single either through death or abandonment. So in this passage in Isaiah, the context is God speaking to the Jewish people because he often uses the analogy of marriage for his covenant relationship with them. But it can apply in the individual sense too, so please take this individually, single mums. So reading from Isaiah chapter 54, verses 4 to 6. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit. A wife who married young, only to be rejected, says your God. Single mothers, God sees you. He knows your struggles and pain. He is your redeemer. He reaches out to you, just as Jesus met and reached out to the Samaritan woman at the well. Let's close in prayer. Lord God, I praise you and thank you for the four messages that we've heard this morning, all very different and about different women in the Bible. But Lord, I know that you have spoken to each woman who has presented and you have made clear your message. And I thank you that Despite sickness and operations threatening the delivery of this, Lord, you've made this possible today because in our weakness is your strength. So, Lord, I thank you for what we've learnt. I thank you for your message to us. And I pray that you will bless us as we go out and celebrate Mother's Day. May we be mindful of not just our own mother, but the other mothers around us, of those who've been before us, those who are in the Bible, 
and the example that they set. And I praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And we've got...